Good morning. This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it's time for Avoid the Maze. My guest today is Brent Dowlin, and um, he goes by the name The Fabula. Say it for me, Brent, because I'm I'm tongue tied today. The, the fallible, fallible Man. Yes, ma'am. Um, and we're going to find out why he goes by that name. Uh, but as most of you know, who have listened to uh, Avoid the Maze, we talk about how stuck we can get as we are going through life. Um, you know, maybe at age five, 10 or 15, we had this vision. This is the path I'm going to take. This is who I'm going to be. And then you get to a certain point of your life and go, what happened? Um, you know, I'm not the person who I thought I was going to be. And sometimes we get a little discontent with who we are. And you know what? That's time to become mindful, aware of things, and take those choices that are available because they are available to all of us. So I'm going to turn this over to Brent because I know you have a lot to say. So Tell us a little bit about your background and how you became a podcaster, a YouTuber, um, and coaching people to lead their best lives. Okay, Karen, thank you. Oh, wow. That's, that is a roundabout story. Um, I grew up a minister's son, but specifically, my father was what's called a transition minister which meant we would be somewhere for a short amount of years to help them transition from a minister who might've passed on or had left recently who had been there a long time because that transition is always rough. And usually the next preacher doesn't last very long. And so we would go and my dad would be there for, I don't think I ever lived anywhere longer than three years until my present location. And I've lived from coast to coast. And so I grew up with change just as a constant starting over new faces, new places. And it was, it was a great life. Don't get me wrong. Um, I was very blessed to see so much of the country and get to live in so many different places and meet so many amazing people, but it did require starting over. And so throughout my life, as I just got used to this, I realized everywhere I want went, there was always something new to learn. There was always something new to experience. There was a lot of input that a lot of people didn't get because they lived in the same place. Statistically, most people live within about 10 miles of where they were born most of the time. And so it was exciting, but it also got me really just used to, there's always something next, right? So I've been where I am now for roughly 16 years. Uh, I never expected to be in this town this long. My wife and I kind of ended up here by accident. We needed the work and I found a job doing construction here. And so we started our life here. And then it was like, oh, well, we'll move before we have kids. Well, we'll move before they start school, right? Small town, we, we thought maybe somewhere else. And I did construction for a while. Then I got into the IT industry. And then <laughs> I've been in the IT industry for years. And all of a sudden it's like, I start this kind of empty feeling. It's like, okay, I've, I've got a decent job, but I just feel like I'm not living my life the way I meant to live my life. Right. As you said, a lot of us have those visions and dreams and we get to a point, well, I got 240. I don't know if I call it a midlife crisis, but it actually came in the form of a gut check. When I looked at my 401k and realized that I had this 401k from my last company that was sitting there and it was safe, but it wasn't invested in anything. And so for six years, it had been sitting there collecting dust, not collecting interest or anything like wow. that. Yeah. I had no idea that I was supposed to do something with it when they rolled it over. And then I started thinking about all these other companies I left over the years. and was like, well, what about those 401ks? So I had this real gut check. It was like, I actually know nothing about this. And until that point in my life, a 401k was something they said in an interview. I, I didn't ever think about it. And so I started diving into educating myself financially, right? Building my financial IQ. And 
on that path, and I mean, I dove hard for a year, got into investing like stocks, stuff like that. Uh, very comfortable with it, cryptocurrencies. And it's like, wow, if I can teach myself this, what else can I do? Right? Because money was always a scary subject for me. Sure. What else can I do? So this started me down this path of personal development. I started answering those questions to myself that I have been sitting there feeling empty about going, well, who do I want to be? What do I want my life to look like? What kind of person do I want to be? And this really started taking root. And as I started down this journey, I started feeling like this nagging feeling, right? I'd had several people ask me about writing a book, uh, helping women understand men better. And I thought, no, I'm not sure I want to tackle that subject. <laughs> but I also started looking around going, you know, I have, I have nine nieces. I have two daughters and I, I've watched them grow up. I used to be a youth minister. And so I've watched all these young women grow up. I've watched the heartbreaks and I've watched these young men who just don't know how to be, you know, good young men. And I started going, okay, what can I actually do about these things I care about? As I'm growing, I wanted to do something else. I didn't want to just grow myself. I wanted to help other people as I started experiencing growth in my own life. And so I started writing a book and about 120 pages into the book, I started looking into self-publishing because I thought, no, I'm nobody, right? No one's going to listen to me. No publishing house is going to want my book. And so I started looking in self-publishing and found out, it's was like, oh, unless I want my wife and my mom to be the only ones to read this, I need an audience. So I did what everybody did and I started social media accounts. I didn't have any social media accounts. That should have been the first warning sign that this was not the right path <laughs> because I hated social media. And so I started, I'll be like, I, okay, Insta famous, right? Everybody goes Insta famous these days, right? It's easy to be famous on Instagram. I'll gather a following there. Oh, Karen, it took me two weeks to know I hated Instagram. <laughs> I absolutely, and, and it's ironic because I have, I think six Instagram accounts or five at this point. Um, I also help manage my daughter's Instagram account because they have their own small business. But I have all these social media accounts. My friends all laugh at me because they're like, <laughs> they know how bad I hate it. But it's like, okay, this is not going to be a good medium for me. So I started looking around and I love listening to podcasts. So I thought, hey, I'm, I'm formerly a minister. I've been speak, doing public speaking since I was 11 years old. I can talk. I can rattle on for hours. So I, I started down this path and I created the Fallible Man podcast. And as I was putting it together, the first thing I didn't want to do is turn people off by being presumptuous about, I didn't ever want it to come across as I know everything. And thus we became the fallible man because I know I'm far from perfect. I don't have every answer. That's one of the reasons I have guests, right? I bring in people who know things I don't. Right. But I also wanted to be very upfront and say, Hey, I'm on a journey. And I'd love to go on this journey with you because I know as a man, there's not a lot of circles around me where people are talking about personal development, becoming the person I want to be, chasing my purpose, uh, building out side hustles and small businesses, right? Things let me grow as an individual and experience things, right? Most men are told, go to a certain point and then get a job and take care of your life. That that's your that's the apex of exactly. everything. Exactly. Sure. Go provide for your family. Never question anything again. Just just go provide for your family. And there's still a lot of space because the best the best person for your family is the best version of you. And we don't get there by just becoming stagnant in that career. Exactly. Exactly. You know, story, as, but... as I'm listening to you, there's a lot of parallels between us and yet we've never met before i saw your bio on podmatch and invited you to be our guest um but what i've have been finding since i've been podcasting now for almost 10 years is that so many of us have the same thoughts and desires and so it doesn't make any difference male female 
um, what your religious belief is, what your sexual content is. None of it matters because when you start talking, we all want to be the best version of ourselves. And maybe we've made mistakes in the past that we don't like that version and we want to change. And yet there are these nagging voices in our heads that say, like you were saying, well, who's going to read my book? Who's going to listen to me? Well, maybe nobody's going to read it other than your wife and your mother, okay? But if they read it, they're going to tell somebody else and that somebody else will tell somebody else. And by getting on social media, despite the fact that you hate it, and I think <laughs> all of us do, um, your word is going to get out there. And you you know you're making you're making your mark, and that's what is important. You're you're living your real self by sharing your thoughts. Uh, two and a half years, yeah, two and a half years into this journey, um, I feel very differently than when I started, for sure. Right? It, it's that initial. This is out of my death. This is something new. And we all run into that, right? You're, right. I mean, that's that's just absolute truth. All of us get anxious about new things. All of us get anxious about stepping out of our comfort zone. All of us are uncertain. You know, I'm two and a half years into my podcast and been started doing coaching uh, about six months ago because I already am a personal trainer. It's a side hobby. I like, I'm, I've always liked doing personal training because I liked helping people. It's right. It, it was something that always made me feel good. So I started doing the coaching thing and I still have a business coach, right? I have a business coach because my background is not in business and there's a lot of room for me to grow and learn there. But it's one of the things that we still have that conversation on a regular basis is like, Brent, you are helping people stop selling yourself short because I still deal with that, right? Two and a half years into it. I feel pretty good most of the time. I still have days where, right, as a podcaster, I'm like, why would anybody listen to me? My, my show is doing reasonably well, but I still go, why would anybody listen to me? I'm just Brent. That line from Harry Potter nailed it for me, right? Yeah. But, but, but I'm just Harry. And, I think the, re and the reason they're listening to you is because you are real. You're not standing up on this stage in front of thousands, although you are when you're on your, on, you know, on your uh, microphone and recording, but you're not standing up there saying, look at me, I'm wearing my Brooks brothers suit. And it was fitted to me perfectly, you know, and if you do some of these things, wow, you could look like this too. Well, the reality of it is we all don't want to look like the other person. And we don't want to hear stories that are going to cost us tons of money so that you can join their program and nothing wrong with the guys who do that. Okay. They're making big bucks and hallelujah to them but when i go to any of those i look at them and i go but are you being real or is your story really about i have to make the next million now i'm sure you and i would love to be making a lot of money when we sit and do our podcasts but would i get out of it at the end of the day money couldn't buy I get to talk to you, Brent, who I never would have met if it weren't for Podmatch. If I hadn't looked at your bio and say, he's different than me, but we're also the same. So I'm going to bring him on. And that's what people are hearing in your podcast too. I certainly hope so. It's uh that's always been the goal is, hey, here I am. I'm on this journey. Come with me. Here's an idea. Try it. See if it works for you. Try this, right? Men don't like to be told what to do. And and I have a lot of female listeners as well. 
because a lot of what I cover is it's universal, right? I address it at men just because I can connect with them at a slightly different level. Sure. Right. And we don't like to be told what to do, but you know what, if we hear from someone we trust and go, Hey, you know, this has been effective for me. This is working in my life. Maybe you should try it. It, it may not work for you, but you know, give it a try. This has been beneficial for me. Right. That's, that's a connection, right? That's relatable because I, I hate those guys. The Instagram generation cracks me up because I see these 23 year olds. I've been training people for years. I've been lifting since I was 12 years old. Uh, I, I've been training people on and off just as a side thing. Usually as close people I know I've connected with somewhere else. And I, I see these 23 year olds selling the secret to six pack abs. And it's like, it's being under the age of 25 and genetically gifted all at the same time. Cause you don't know what you're doing. Now, let me say there are a few out there, right? There's a couple I've followed who started very young and knew their whole life. This is what they were after. But most of those were also competing in like powerlifting or bodybuilding or something and had built that discipline from an early age. It wasn't something they decided they were going to do, right? But I, I see those people I'm like, I'm, I'm not interested in those people. I'm 43. How am I supposed to relate to that? I'm exactly. 43. I've got a mortgage. I got kids. I got things to take care of. I'm running two businesses. And so I connect with other people who can identify with that, right? Because tell me that. I had a kid ask me in the gym one time. He's like, hey, you look like you've been lifting a long time. I was like, yeah. What's up, man? He's like, when do you think you really peaked? <laughs> I was, I think, 37 at the time. I had just hit a new bench press PR like that night. Oh, wow. And like while he noticed me, I, I think I hit like 335 for the first time on bench. You know, it's not earth shattering numbers, but at 35, I was 37. I was feeling pretty good about myself. I never gotten that high and I stopped competing with younger guys a long time ago. I, I don't have that insecurity there. But he's like, when do you think you really peaked? I tried so hard to hold it in. I was like, how old are you? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm 22. All right. You go to college? Yeah, yeah. I'm, that's cool, man. Hey, I just hit a new PR. Last week, I squatted 500 pounds. I'm in my mid-30s. I'm just getting started. But I tell you what, in five years, you can ask me that question. I said, because in five years, I'm going to still be in this gym. You probably will not statistically, but in five years, when you're married and have a mortgage and work 50 hours a week, you come talk to me about peaking and we'll have that conversation. And, you know, it, it was a weak moment for me because I was like, ah, that's probably wasn't the best response. Right. But it was just like, that's such a insecure question. What do you think you peaked? At 43, I'm still lifting big weights. I'm uh, launching a new strongman training course, actually, uh, publicly here in town. We're doing a six-week training camp. And I've continued to get stronger, right? But it's like so funny, the perspectives you get as you go through life in your 20s and your 30s, right? You gain perspective, which gives you more relevant perspective on the world. It's like those things at 22, well, and those are the stages, obviously, we have to go through. Those are the times when either we really learn a lot from someone like yourself, or we look at you and go, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, I'm a he-man. Um, I'll give you a little story. My youngest son, um, at the age of six, now he, he looked fine. He acted fine. He had friends. The school assumed that uh, he was on the autism spectrum. So we had to go get a diagnosis. Doctor sort of said, yeah, he has some of the tendencies. And so we went back to the school. The school treated him as if he was autistic, like he couldn't communicate. And that was absolutely horrible for him. But 
he fought it his whole, you know, school educational years. And then he went to college and he found that, you know, he had to fight it even harder. And his basic love is sports. Baseball is his number one. And he was working for our major league home, home team, um, or now the Guardians, and doing great, learning things that he never thought he would learn. But there was no place for him to go. And for the first time of his life, he looked at it and he said, I've learned from all these people. I know that in some ways I may be smarter than them, but they have the experience that I have to know. And a year ago, he started looking to go to work for another team. And of course, mama's heart was breaking because everything was out of state. Um, and he has a phenomenal job down in Texas. He loves what he's doing. And they brought him in to do this much and he's doing this much already. He's not complaining that he works 12 hours a day because it's a path that he wants to go down. And I think that's the difference between you and this 22-year-old in the gym. He has no idea what he wants to be, but everybody has told him he should build up his strength. And his strength isn't only in his body. It has to be in his brain. We're just not encouraged much at that point. Yeah, it's one of the things that kills me. One of the reasons I, I do the fallible man is we really aren't. Men are generally told, I, I joke about we stop getting better at potty training. That's that's where personal development stops for men and sure. housebroken. But realistically, I mean, that's what we're encouraged to our whole life. You hit this certain age group. And then if you go to, you either go to college or you go to the military, you go to work, right? But then you you start a family and, and you take care of them. And that's where it stops, right? Men are just not... Like I never thought about side hustles until I started looking into what I didn't know financially is like, oh, look, there are different types of income than just going to work and trading your time right. for, I, I had no idea at 40 years old. I've been working since I've, I've been working consistently since I was 16 years old uh, for somebody else. Right. And so with 24 years of work at that point, I didn't know there were other types of income. I wasn't taught that in school. I didn't have somebody in my life teaching that. My dad didn't know that. He he had heard of like royalties because we all hear about movies and stuff like sure. that. They talk about yep. that music royalties and stuff, but we didn't know that was something that a normal person could have. And so with that came an interest in like, oh, so I can make money other ways and get paid other ways without having to trade my time. I wasn't ever encouraged to do that with that came some freedom to chase things that I actually care about and was passionate about. Right. And that, that opened up just this whole new concept for me. And so that's part of the reason we do the fallible man is we're just trying to open up the thought process because we're just not told we're not told, Hey, you can support your family and still be passionate about some things you do. And it doesn't have to replace your income but you can still chase things you're passionate about. You can still seek the purpose for your life. You can still get better. You can still build your own business or learn another language. You can still learn how to do this or that, right? I've got a 52 year old paratrooper just reached out to me uh, looking at, you know, if I'm doing a little more one-on-one -on -one coaching on my strongman training because he wrecked his knees doing being a paratrooper, but it's like, that's awesome. To me, I, I see that. It's like, you know what? This is a man who said, I'm not done. I can still improve. I can still change. I can still grow. And that excites me because it's just not something I, I look at some of these younger guys. And it's like, you just aren't being told that this is the story that I was told. And that hasn't changed. This is the story you're being told. Right. So a couple of years ago, um, I had been recovering from uh, a break I had in my femur and Ow. it took forever to get um, 
it to really heal properly. And all of a yeah. sudden I realized um, I could walk fast. I could run, although I've never been a good runner. And somebody invited me to a 5K. And I said, do you care how I place? I said, because my goal is to finish. And they looked at me and they said, well, the first so many get trophies. And I said, okay, but this is my first 5K. Um, I, I believe I was either 68 or 69 at the time. Had never participated in anything athletic. And my husband said to me, do what you want to do. If you can run it, run it. If you want to walk, walk. If you have to crawl, crawl. He said, you want to finish. I said, that's all I want to do. And uh, I went to it. My friend was very upset within the first two minutes that she was so far ahead of me. But I knew if I ran, I would not have made it even halfway. But I power walked my way through it. And I came in ahead of quite a few people. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I finished. And if I can do that, there's a lot of other things I can still do. Do I want to do it again? I would love to, except I had a knee replacement. And I really would need to find the best way to condition for it. But I do other things that I've never done in my life before. And when you said before, you know, why would someone want to listen to you or listen to me? We've been through experiences. We're not telling everybody that, hey, if you want to do a 5K, you know, you can power walk it because there's going to be a lot of people who are going to say, well, that's not doing it. But for me, it was. So what is it that you want to do? Listen how other people have done it. And then pick and choose. You may make a combination of things to get to where you want to go. And I think the hardest part is when we tell people what it is we want to do. If they don't see our success right away, they look at us as if we're lazy, we're uh, talking through our teeth, we're really not meaning what we're saying. And the reality of it is, no, we're doing it at the pace we are comfortable with. And maybe a coach will come along and get us to speed up that pace. But we have to be the ones to make that choice, not everybody around us. We have to get our, past our own limiting beliefs and we aren't taught to do that either. Yeah. That's, so I actually specialize in usually clients. Uh, I'm very selective in my personal training practice because I prefer to work with clients who are working around a previous injury or recovering from that's, that's where my real passion for that lies. I've broken my spine twice. I've torn out my shoulder. I had a medical injury ring me for the military while I was in and have had to repeatedly come back from injury after injury to a point where if I don't work out now, I can't actually walk right. But I, I'm with you right there. I do Tough mutters and Spartan races. I don't know if you're familiar with those. They're off-road mm -hmm. obstacle course races. Yep, yep, yeah. I actually like the obstacles. The distance is like... <laughs> <laughs> but I walk them because I, I can't run any distance due to an injury occurred 20 years ago. Uh, I did some damage to my lower leg and I can only... I can jog some, but I can't run any real length before it actually lays me up. Combined with... Uh, severe sciatica and a broken spine, it makes for, but I walk them and, sure. and I walk fast and it's all off road, but I go for the obstacles. I love the obstacles, but I have people who like go flying past me and I, I'm not there for them. I don't care if they think I'm going slow or if I'm going fast, I can knock out 10 miles in three and a half hours with 30 plus obstacles and 10 miles of off road walking but I can't run and that's okay. We're told we let these limiting beliefs get into our heads so often about, well, I, I have to work this job because it 
takes care of my family. So there's no room for anything else. Or I have this injury. And so I can't pursue doing a 5k. I can't pursue doing an obstacle course race. I can't exercise anymore because of this. Or someone told me that I was not ever going to be able to do this because I'm not smart enough or because I am on the scale, right? My niece is on the scale and she looks at life a whole lot different than I do, but she's amazing and brilliant. And I know so many people who are, and yeah, she has some things that affect her life differently than other people. But the minute we go, oh, this prevents me from doing this. We we gotta un we gotta unwind that. We gotta take that out and just take that thought out and go, okay, how do we look at this from a different angle? This is what I actually care about. This is what I'd like to do. I'd like to go run that 5K. You like my my I just got I cringe when you said broken femur because <laughs> I know the severity of an accident it takes to do that. Uh that's that's not an easy bone to break. As as someone who has broken a lot of things that's that, that's a pretty significant yeah. bone to break um but right you could have said i can't do a 5k right because i'm sure even when healed up that's uncomfortable at times for sure it's but uncomfortable said, because they put a bar in the leg that's too long oh so oh. but you know what what you're saying is if you learn how to condition yourself if you learn how to read your body, you can do things. You can do a lot of things. Um, you know, when I made the, you know, the promise to myself that I would finish the 5K, um, jokingly, I said to my husband, you know, if it's starting to get dark, you may want to come find me and then we'll stroll to the finish line. And he's not a walker at all. And he looked at me and he goes, um, can I send somebody else out to get you? But I didn't care how I finished it. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if somebody would have said, Hey, you know, Karen, you're just totally worn out. And they would have picked me up and carried me the rest of the way. Mm -hmm. I still would have said I finished it. But so many of us are listening to people around us that tell us what we can do and what we can't do, either based on an injury, based on our age, based on our working conditions or whatever. And then we start to believe them. And then we become unhappy because we're living the life that they're telling us we should live. I had a friend challenge me. So I went from being a blue collar construction worker electrical union good good trade right uh, i was in low voltage but i went from being a blue collar electrical worker i was in, crawling under subfloors up in ceilings and utility vaults my friend who was a very high paid it guy went to school for it right he looked at me and said you're killing yourself you've got to start working with your mind i was like what do i know right he walked in, he threw a server on my couch one day, just a desktop server. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, it's a server. I said, yeah, I know that. What are you doing? He's like, you're going to put it in. I was like, and I played computer games and stuff like that. I've been handy with a computer growing up, but I'm right in that age range where computers being common were a new thing. My junior high was the first school to ever actually integrate Apple and IBM compatible computers in one system. Wow. Yeah. We we used to have to stop class so PC Magazine could come take pictures. And then we'd all go back to using the overhead because no one actually used the computers. Uh, but he he's like, I want you to put this in down by your computer downstairs. And I want you to put an image on it. And I want you to set this up. I was like, I don't know anything about that. He said, that's a fair point. So here's a disc with the image on it. And here's a book. And he handed me this textbook thick IT book. He said, learn something. And if you can't find it in here, Google it. Right. And I was, I was so irritated. It was like presumptuous jerk, blah, blah, blah. I said a few more colorful things and, and I let it sit there, but he knew me and it sat there for about three days before it just really got under my skin. And I took it down. I set it up and I put an image on it and I 
dug through the book, got an index. What was he talking about? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I set it up. He's like, okay, I want you to go in and do this, this, and this. I was like, I don't even know. He said, you got a book, figure it out. And I went fine. Sure. Right. And all of a sudden I'm doing homework for my friend <laughs> at an IT level. I've never done in my life. And I don't know why I'm doing it. And this went on for about six months. And he called me one day. He said, you're about to get a phone call. The answer is yes. Don't be stupid. The answer is yes. I was like, I don't under, he said, the answer is yes. That's all you need to hear. And my phone starts beeping on call waiting. Right. And it's like, my, my phone's beeping. He's like, it's my boss. Just take the call. The answer is yes. And so I, I jumped over and took this call and I started talking to this guy and he's like, we had this position going on. Dave recommended you. And he's like, you know, what are the conditions? I was like, well, I have to be on the same schedule as him because he drives over a couple of days. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, is this like a pre preliminary thing? You want me to send you my resume? He's like, no, you don't understand. I'm asking how much it's going to cost me. You already have the job. Dave said, so you have the job. How much is it going to cost me? And so I was like, well, bare minimum, I, to make this, I'm going to have to make at least this much. And he laughed at me. He said, well, we started this. Will that do? And it was way higher than I had asked for. Right. And I got off the phone and I was like, I, I'm not even sure what happened. Right. So I called my friend back. I'm like, what in the crap just happened, dude? He's like, you got a better job. I told you, you need to start working with your brain. I never would have done that, right? My friend came along and said, I see more. And I know exactly how to goad you into becoming better. And that's what best friends are for, right? And it was, it was goading. There, there was no nicely, you know, it was like poking and prodding to hack me off. And, and I went from being a blue collar worker to an IT professional overnight. And the next four months are a blur because every morning we would start early in the morning and spend three hours learning how to do the job and then doing the job the rest of the day. You but know, and this it, it was a jump. So here your friend really was your first experience with coaching mm -hmm. because he saw it in you. He didn't tell you how to do it. He just gave you some tools and said, here, you can do it. So you heard the confidence, you were given these tools, and you also have a personality that says, either I'm going to prove you right or I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm just not going to sit here and let it go to waste, which reminds me of um, my husband got a job, uh, I think it was in 87 or 88 with um, Microsoft. They were still a baby company. Mm -hmm. um, and he... Uh, heard that they were looking for alpha testers. Now, at this point, I had never used a computer. I had no reason to. And um, I was on medical leave and he comes to me and he said, um, Microsoft is looking for alpha testers. Do you want to be one? I said, what's an alpha tester? And he goes, well, they're just in the beginning of writing their code, but you have to go in and play with it. I said, what do you mean play with it? Well, try to break it, try to see where it goes. And I said, well, I don't know what that means. He said, I don't want you to be afraid. So I signed up and back then they didn't ask for any background because they didn't care. They mm -hmm. just wanted to see what you were going to do. And within a month, I mean, I was in my glory. And especially when I could break the code, I never knew how I actually did it, um, but they could read my steps. But my husband has always had this confidence in me, like your friend has in you. Mm -hmm. Well, you can do it. Okay, here's this box. Oh, yeah, that's a computer. Um, and here's this disk. Remember, that's what it's called. And you're going to put it in there and you're going to see what happens. Now, to this day, I still train on software. Don't ask me about the insides. I know what's inside the computers. I don't mm -hmm. know how they really do their job, except 
but I can tell you how to use the software. I can tell you how to be more efficient with it. And that's because somebody had the confidence in me to say, here, you know, I wasn't making big money on it, but I was making money. I was on medical leave anyways. He said, this will give you something to do. You don't have to sit and watch soap operas all day. It has benefited me in my whole life. But tell me about some of your clients that who come to you because, and it's probably not going to sound right, so I apologize to our listeners, but men don't like to ask for help. They don't like going to support groups, okay? Um, and if I look at my husband and my brothers, who all should be in some sort of therapy or coaching, uh, they believe they can handle it themselves. So mm -hmm. how do you find those men and teach them that, hey, you're better than the next guy because you're trying? Getting them that mindset is the not ever a priority. Um, you know, the first the first thing I, I tell men is you're not you're not broken. You're you're a work in progress. We have to get out of this mindset of we're broken. That's why we need a coach, right? I have a business coach. It's not that I'm broken. I'm just not good at business. It's not what my background is. I don't have that experience. And so I'm training with somebody who does, right? Who has some insights I don't. And so first for men, that's the hardest thing is getting out of that mindset is I'm not telling you you're broken. I'm not trying to convince you you're wrong. I'm saying, who is the man you want to be? What does he look like? How does he act? How is his relationship with his spouse? How is his relationship with his kids? How does he connect with other people? What does he do for a job? Who is this man that you envision being? And the next question is very simply is, are you that person? Is that who you are? Physically, mentally, emotionally, professionally, relationally, is that who you are? Okay, well, then like me, your work in progress, right? It's not a broken issue. It's a, we all have room. And stepping into a space of humility is a really hard thing for men to do. We're not encouraged to be humble. Although most of the guys that we would look up to and go, that's a man. Most of those guys are pretty humble. You, you get a couple of the boisterous ones, right? Out like you were talking about, standing on the stage, shouting at people. And I've met those. But I grew up around a lot of military guys. I've had the, uh, I want to say the honor of knowing a lot of Special Forces soldiers over the years. Navy SEALs, Green Berets, Rangers, the, the ins and outs. And those guys are generally the last guys to get loud and rowdy unless they're together as a, if they're somewhere safe as a group privately and it's their party, that's one thing. But if they're out among the general public, you would never guess what those guys do. They don't feel the need to brag. They don't have to be the center of life or the party. They don't have to be loud. They don't have to walk around like I'm tough. Right. A lion doesn't tell somebody I'm a lion. Everybody just knows. Right. Right. There's a humility that comes when you are confident in who you are, when you don't feel like you have to prove anything. And so the hardest step is getting a lot of guys into that moment of humility to say, I can be more because that means we have to admit that we're not everything we can be which is a really big step. And sometimes that takes some time. So a lot of times we start with things like, well, you know, how's your relationship with your kids? Are, are you, uh, you feel like you can connect with your kid really well? Well, you know, I, I connect with my, with my son pretty well. I'm not quite sure with my daughter, you know, I, I, I don't like the things she likes. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. Right. Let's see what we can do right now in this moment to help you connect with your daughter more to help you have a better relationship with your wife, right? Let's see if we can help you 
kill some of that tension between you and your coworkers, right? Let's start with just simple things that we can address now that will make your life better. We don't need to talk about coaching. We don't need to talk about, let's just talk about, you know, what, what would you like to do? How do you spend your free time? Is that how you want to spend your free time? Uh, no. Well, why is that? Oh, you don't make enough money. Okay. You know what? I, I know all about that. So, you know, let's look at how you're spending your free time and maybe see if we can help you earn some extra money. What do you love to do? Right. The quickest way to start to connect with people is to step into their world and start healing pain points. If I can share something with you that I've experienced, just a quick idea that will help heal that pain point, that's huge, right? Oh, and the next time you hit something, you're going to be like, hey, that, that, that fallible man guy, right? He had it. I wonder if he has anything on this. You can go to my website. You can search through my podcast, right? And you're probably going to find it because we cover the full array of what men deal with everything from relationships to professional life, to entrepreneurship, to, uh, you know, just, just the fact of being men. It's very lonely. A lot of men are very lonely. And sadly, the female population doesn't see that because statistically our culture has said the man knows what he's doing. The man is in charge, um, which, you know, my father and mother had a very, um, I want to say modern relationship. My father was not in charge. My mother was not in charge. They worked together as a team, always. Um, and that's what I learned from my parents. Also, my parents... We call them side hustles now. They didn't mm -hmm. call them that. My father loved to write. <laughs> yeah. My father loved to write poetry. And so everybody in the community, when there was a special event going on in their family, they'd contact my father. My father would write a poem, a story. They'd buy it. At first he kept saying, no, I'm doing this. you know. And people said, no, we want to pay you for it. My mother was a seamstress and a baker. And again, you know, oh, you know, the person next door, I saw her wearing an apron and it was torn. And so she would sew a new apron for her, take it over there. And before my mother knew it, she had an order for more. And both of my parents worked full time, but yet there was time in their life to do these things. Mm -hmm. And they taught my brothers and I that we could do things too. So we all had jobs outside the house. At nine years old, I watered the plants for a neighbor of mine. You know, it wasn't that she couldn't do it, but she had the money. Mm -hmm. I think I made all of 25 cents a week, but it was my responsibility to go into her greenhouse and water her plants and let her know if there was a problem with any. So when people today say, I can't do certain things, they're probably being burdened by what they were told either by their family, by their teachers. Um, I was told in um, elementary school that I would never be a good writer. And they told that to my father, who was a writer. And every time I would try to write something, it, it I mean, it really was terrible. I'm so grateful my parents kept those papers because 15 years ago, when I started writing for uh, a certain corporation, it was like, Kieran, you can write. Why did that teacher tell me I couldn't? Why couldn't that teacher have been smart enough to give me some tools to use in my writing? Mm -hmm. But instead, I went all the way through school thinking I could not write. Well, that's the problem. We have to get first into the step of humility, right? Of 
yeah, there are things I could improve in my life. And and you don't have to dig too deep to hit that. You just have to dig gently with guys, right? Right. Now, what what do you imagine versus where you're at now, right? Where do you want to be versus where you're at? So if there's a difference, there's always room to grow, right? The next step is getting past the belief that you can't. Getting to that growth mindset of, I can be more, right? Instead of that being a question, that needs to be a statement. I can be more as opposed to I can be more, right? It, the little change in it, but after we get to, I have room to grow, it's I actually can grow, right? Because so many people have been told you'll never amount to anything or you'll never be more than this. So you're not, you're, you're going to be, you know, just like your dad, you're going to work hard labor all your life and, and that's it, right? So many people have been told by friends family members, teachers, people they trusted, coaches, oh, this is all you'll ever amount to. And unfortunately, I'm I'm not a big person on, you know, words are equal to fists. I, I'm, I'm not. Anyone who says that has never been punched really hard in the face because, but they do have lasting impact depending on who they're from. If it's somebody you don't care about, they're pretty easy to blow off, but it's when somebody you actually trust or think has your best interest at heart says something that can resonate for years and that can resonate for a lifetime. And so we have to step into that moment of, yes, I have room to grow and I actually can. Once we get those two things down, it's amazing what people will do on their own. It's like you took off the handcuffs and went, okay, go do it. So when my, when my son was 12 years old, um, because he was diagnosed on the spectrum, the school referred us to the County board of, uh, mental health because we could get, uh, skill training for him. So they decided that the psychiatrist should do her battery of tests. And she did. And the three of us, my husband, my son, and myself, were called into her office. And we're sitting there. And she looks at my son. And she, and Alex was talking at the time about a baseball game that he had just watched. He was telling his dad about it. And she said, Alex, I want you to stop talking about baseball. You will never be a baseball player. You will never work in baseball. I don't know what your dreams are, but they better change as of today. My husband and I are looking at her like, what are you doing? And there was a young man on the other side of her glass wall pushing a broom. She said, see that young man? He knows how to push a broom. That's something that you're going to learn. And with that, my husband started yelling at her and he left the room. And Alex looks at me and I was frozen. It was like, I, I just don't know what to say. And Alex runs out after his dad and she said, you better get back here, young man. He goes, no, I got to go take care of my dad, which I applauded him for. And I sat there and told the woman off. When Alex recorded his first professional song, I took a copy of it and I went to her office I said, you said my son would never amount to anything. Well, number one, he's going to high school and he doesn't have an aid. He doesn't need one. He's getting through. In fact, my son has a 3.0 GPA without any help. And I went through all this and she said, oh, who are you kidding? Someday you'll thank me when he's living in a halfway house. So there are people out there, and I don't think she thought she was being cruel. In her academic mind, that's what the test showed. And as my son has said all along, you have to measure what's in our heart. Mm -hmm. So maybe you didn't know anything about configuring that server. But your friend knew in your heart 
you wanted to do something more, something different, something that you could teach yourself and go, hey, look what I did. That's heart. If you didn't have the heart, you wouldn't have done it. It would have been like, no, I have a job. I'm putting food on the table. That's okay. But your heart told you you wanted more. One of my favorite scenes from the movie. I don't know. It sounds like your son's off on his own. So you're probably not necessarily watching a whole lot of kids movies these days. But <laughs> there's, I watch a lot of, I have an eight-year-old and an 11-year-old. And so I watch a lot of kids movies. And there's one called Big Hero 6. It's actually like a Marvel comic book or something. But it's a cartoon. It's an animation. And at one point, right, it's about this 11-year-old who's a genius, like beyond genius level graduated at like eight from high school and he decides he has to go to the school that his older brother brother goes to schools so advanced robotics and blah 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 engineering and stuff and he decides he has to go there and to get in you have to like qualify you have to impress the people who run it and so he enters this competition they have every year and he's sitting there writing down ideas about what he's going to do about how these great ideas he's going to build out to impress them and he throws the paper to the side and there's just this pile of papers. He was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm I'm doomed. And his older brother goes, yep, yep. That's it. At 11 years old, you're all washed up. <laughs> you're just, you're, it's over. Might as well just continue bot fighting or whatever. And he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And his brother walks over and yanks him up and throws him over his back, hanging upside down by his feet and starts bouncing around, swinging around. He's like, what are you doing to me? He's like, I'm changing your perspective. Change the way you're looking at the problem. Use that big brain of yours and think your way around it from a different angle. And that resonated so much with me because it's like, that's what I'm trying to do with people. I'm probably not going to pick them up and sling them over my shoulders. And it's probably not a good idea, <laughs> but that's, that is ultimately what we're trying to do. Is just change long-held perspectives and look at it from a different angle to see the possibility and the potential. Well, we're going to have to have you back on. I don't know if you know, but New Cleveland Radio has um, a number of different podcasts and you fit into so many different areas. Um, I want more men and I want women to understand, okay, that, you know, when you're talking about your significant other and you don't understand how his brain thinks, remember, he doesn't understand how our brain thinks. And sometimes it's really good to go listen to something in their perspective. You may not want your husband or significant other to tell you. Um, but I had this experience just last week with my husband, um, he had gone to Texas with me. He left five days early. My husband and I are best friends. We talk all the time. We share everything. He comes home and I'm not hearing from him. He's not calling me. And when I call him, he sounds angry and gruff. And it's like, oh my God, what did I, and I put it on myself. What did I do? Um, he just mentioned to me uh, right before I was coming home, he said, on my flight home, I watched that movie you wanted to see. And it's called A Man Called Otto. And if you haven't seen it, I think every man and woman should see this movie. Um, and I said, oh, did you like it? And he goes, yeah, I did. But I could hear something questioning in his mind. And we both love Tom Hanks and Tom Hanks is in it. So I'm watching it. Within five minutes, I realized why he had been the way he was for five days. And that's because Otto, you see him as um, someone who has lost his wife and his wife was his best friend. And my husband picked up on that and was like, oh my God, like, I don't have you here this week to, you know, tell me that my outfit looks silly and I shouldn't wear it. I don't, you don't, I don't have you here this week to make a meal for me. And my husband doesn't cook. Um, and he really was lost. And he's never been like that before. 
but the movie triggered him. And I've been talking about it on every podcast because I want people to understand a word, a picture, a sound can trigger how we are emotionally. And if we don't talk about it, we can't help each other. And I think you're doing a great service, Brent. I am I am so excited. Uh, I've gone to a couple of your podcasts. I've listened to them. In fact, uh, I keep telling people, you've got to listen. This is a man's view. Go listen to it. So best of luck. We're going to have all your information in the show notes. So nobody has an excuse not to follow you. Um, and just keep doing the great work you're doing. It's wonderful. Thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure to be here today. I appreciate the opportunity to share with your audience. Well, you did a great job and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.